Reading today is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Orienteering. Orienteering is a group of sports that require the abilities to use a map and a compass to navigate from point to point. And so uh, in all sorts of orienteering sports, uh, whether that is uh, geocaching or wayfinding or whatever you want to call it, uh, what you are often given at the beginning of the event is a time limit, a topographical map, and a compass. And that map may give you some clues as to the shape of the land that you'll have to find your way through and over and under, but basically you're just kind of feeling your way through with very uh, with some very basic information. Basic information, but nonetheless important information. Um, participants are often given are often given just the bare minimum, and yet the bare minimum is always enough in those events to get you where you're going if you are paying attention to it. Last Sunday, I kind of treated it like it was the first Sunday of a new year, and we had part one of this sermon. And this Sunday, since it officially is the first Sunday of a new year, we're going to embark on part two. And we looked at last week four ways, four waypoints, really, that the church uh, needs to orient herself toward that the the orienteering points that we're looking for in terms of being a church that pleases God. The Bible in this discussion is both our map and our compass. And so what we want to know are the checkpoints on a path toward being a church that pleases God. That's what we're going to talk about today. As I say, this is part two. Last Sunday, I gave you four waypoints there. You can find part one of this message on our website. You can listen to that there. But let's go ahead this morning and try to construct a further biblical vision of where this congregation should be heading. Again, as we said last week, we don't want to do this necessarily. We don't want this to just be the vision of our human leaders that we might have for the congregation. We want this to be the vision that God has for His church. Where does He want us to go? Where does His map and His compass Point us. And so, as we had last week, four points this morning, we will have four more compass points to orient ourselves toward. And the first is that a church that pleases God is a church that is defined by people who love one another. Above all, the Apostle Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. There may be nothing else. Except for the one that we started with last week, there may be nothing more important than this. That a church that is going to be truly pleasing to God is first and foremost of Christ. And second, as a natural outgrowth of that, they love one another. And this makes perfect sense. It fits seamlessly with the greatest commands that are given in the law and the prophets. You shall love the Lord your God with all of yourself. That's number one. And secondly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
of all the commandments that God has given for thousands of years, those are the top two. And our love for one another is in the top two. And so, no surprise then that we find the scriptures talking about us as a family of God. Again and again, at least three times in the New Testament, and plenty of times it is alluded to before that in the Old Testament, we are called brothers and sisters. Or Paul talks about himself as a father figure to a particular church. Now, we never used that as a formal title, and neither did he, but we have had those figures among us who have been our father figures in the faith, haven't we? And we've had, we continually talk about each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love one another because we love Him. And this whole idea, really, of us loving one another, this is woven into the pillars of church life from antiquity. All the way back to the beginning, and the four ideas that are given to us on the first day, what we typically call the first day of the church, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These four things are part of who we are. It's not just that we feel love toward another. That much can come and go and often does. The the idea is that we show love to one another. We determine to be loving toward our brothers and sisters. And that's going to mean a handful of things. And these are not in your study guide. These are just some applications that you can write down in the margins there. It's going to mean that we forgive one another. When the time comes to do that, we are willing to be forgiving. It's going to mean that we pay attention to one another, to the needs in somebody's life, to the good that's going on in somebody's life, that we are aware of one another's situations. It means that we help one another. Now, that may be something simple like helping somebody move. It may be something very complicated like helping somebody through an addiction. But the point is that in any case, what we look for is an opportunity to be of help to those whom we love. And that's going to mean, number four here, spiritual concern for one another. We forgive one another, we give attention to one another, we help one another, and we are spiritually concerned for one another. I don't think it should be surprising to us to hear Christians ask other Christians, Hey, how's your money situation? Sounds too personal, doesn't it? But it's something that scriptures talk about an awful lot. We need to help with that where we can. Or, hey, can I ask you a question? Are you still, are you still fighting with that one temptation? How's it going? You win in that battle? It's embarrassing at times, potentially, I guess. But, but that kind of conversation sure is important. Hey, can I pray with you? Can we just pause right now? We're in the middle of where we're, wherever we are. Can we just pray? Hey, would you like to come over, uh, be with some people? You know, I, I know that this particular time is a hard time and temptation for you. I know it's a discouraging time of, of the year or the season or whatever. Would you like to be around some people and just be with us and we can encourage you? We have to be the kind of people who have spiritual concerns for one another. And that's, that's just what that means. It means that we love one another and we care for one another. I want to add this as well, and I just was thinking about this this morning as we were worshiping, but this idea, this compass point for the church of us loving one another, it means that we need everybody. We really need everybody who is in this church. We need the artistic types. We need the, we need the boisterous types. We need the expressive and emotional types. 
We need the extroverted ones and we need the shy ones. We need the analytical types. We need the type A driven to succeed kind of people. We need all the other types that kind of follow them. We need all of that. And none of them more than any other. Because what we need is to see that God's pattern for the church is perfect. And that if we love one another, all of those differences that may characterize each of us as individuals, they all start to start, sort of disappear in the grand scheme of a group of people that love Christ and love one another. And so healthy church life, this must be one of the compass points that demands that those and thousands of other manifestations of applications, how we put all that together, demands all of those because we love each other. And if I can say a personal word here on the first Sunday of a new year, God bless this church for doing that so well. Secondly, second compass point for us this morning is that we must be devoted to service. Devoted to service. And by that, I mean serving other people. Jesus sets us this example and he is our pattern in everything. And so when we see that he served the poor and the needy, we too look for opportunities to serve the poor and the needy. And so in his, uh, in his model Uh, His model sermon of good Christian behavior for us in Matthew chapter 6. He doesn't say, and if you give to the needy, this is how you do it. He says, when you give to the needy. It's assumed that because we follow his example, that's exactly what we will do. And we will do that because in us, he has given us a heart like his own. That we do this from a heart of compassion. Matthew chapter 9, we get that beautiful little simple, simple assessment, but powerful nonetheless, where Jesus looks at the Israelites and it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That means they were vulnerable. That means they were poor. That means they would not be fed. They would be lacking something in a big way. How much of our society could we look around at and say they are like sheep without a shepherd? How many opportunities then does that present us to be good and to do good for those around us? And maybe this is just my experience here, but I feel like in my lifetime I've heard far more sermons on when we should not give to the poor than I have on when we should and how much we should give. I've heard far more sermons on the, the you know, the... the number of opportunities that that are precluded somehow by laws within the scriptures and all of that is fine but let's not preach about that more than than our preaching about the fact that we are to be giving people we are to be people who like our king's life was characterized by serving and healing and giving and helping our lives are characterized by serving and giving and healing and helping it's no wonder to me It's no wonder to me that the world often accuses Christians of being stingy and therefore hypocritical when we talk more about when not to give than we actually show that we are generous and giving people. And so, can I just say to you, when you see a Christian in need, do something. Genuinely choose a way to help. Churches, by God's design, are characterized by people that make hospital and nursing home visits. The Bible specifically says that, actually. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 36, I was sick and you visited me. We're characterized by people that help in those situations. 
Churches, by God's design, that are following His compass points are characterized by people who are quick to open their wallets for disaster relief, both domestically and abroad. The Bible has plenty of examples of that happening. One major one is in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And churches, by God's design, following His compass points, are characterized by people who are quick to give up our discretionary time to help the elderly and the abused and the broken and the disabled. You necessarily have to infer that from the way that the Bible communicates to us, the way we must be generous. Now, again, I'll be perfectly forthright about this. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful to God to be part of a church that does those things. And so I'm not in any way berating you for failing in this. What I'm doing is reminding all of us to keep it up. That these are principles that are soundly anchored in the Word of God. These are, again, part of our spiritual DNA. And so we need constant reminders never to get so absorbed in the pursuits of our own lives and our own activities within the assembly times and within this building that we forget to look for opportunities to help other people. We can never get those priorities out of balance. And I always feel the need when I talk about this to remind us that serving means that we become servants. And servants have to make sacrifices. Servants have to stoop beneath their otherwise normal station in life. Servants have to understand that what we're getting into will cost us something. And it may be something big and it may be something important to us, but it will be worth it. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And the church that is correctly oriented toward His goals will be people who are willing to do the same. Now, that means that we must be generous and that means we must be giving. And I think one of the best things that we can give to people, and this won't catch any of you off guard, is that we can give them the Word of God. Which means that we must be diligent in evangelism. And to see this, and to see why this is important, we need only one thing here, which is to see the way that the early Christians talked about evangelism. And then we just simply see this and strive to imitate their faith. So let me give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, which several of us looked at in our Bible class this morning, the apostles say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They are diligent to teach the word about Christ. In his second letter, excuse me, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, in the later verses of that chapter, our forerunners in this faith prayed to God, Grant your servants to speak, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is commissioning the creation and the spread and the influence of His church to go everywhere, He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know what I love about the perspective, the biblical perspective on evangelism? With the entire world telling them to stop talking about Jesus. They talked about Jesus with enthusiasm. Now, myself, confession time here, and many would probably agree with me on this, with all of the Bible trying to convince me to talk about Jesus, most of the time I barely do that. 
And a lot of the time I do that with my tail tucked, as though I'm embarrassed of the message. How different does that make us, if that's where we are? And hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's just me. But how different does that make us from our forerunners in this faith? That they showed us a picture of what it means to be diligent in evangelism, to be devoted to teaching to teaching everyone the good news about Jesus. This is one of the compass points that led them everywhere across the globe. And thankfully, I mean, the reality is we're sitting here in the state of Kentucky because they took the message everywhere across the globe. This is one of the defining elements of God's people. And may I just say to you that this is one of the areas where God's church must be reformed back to her former state. This is where one of the places where we have to get back to that attitude of what they had. It is one of the compass points of all successful churches and of the success in God's church universally. That we talk about Christ. And that we teach people the good news that He is. And so may God give us strength. May He give us wisdom. And may He give us opportunities, even ones that cost us. May He give us opportunities to teach about Him. And then the fourth one for this morning, and the last one really in this little series, is that if we're going to be a church that pleases God, the fourth compass point for us is that we must be a church that is carried by prayer. And again, to show you this in the Scriptures, I go back to the pillars of church life in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and finally to prayer. Interestingly, they devoted themselves to the prayers, it says, which is an allusion back to the Psalms. And this year, one of our plans is that we intend to spend a lot of time in the Psalms this year. Okay, we want to spend a lot of time on the prayers because it is one of the things that defined our brothers and sisters in the very beginning of this whole endeavor. And we want it to be one of the things that defines us as well. But I go back to this just to emphasize that if these are the four pillars, these are the four pillars of church life in those early days, then what kind of importance should we place on prayer today? Now, what do we pray about? Well, we could just start listing stuff. I've given you a couple of things there, just a handful, a quick list. But, I mean, basically the answer is everything. As God's people, when we spend time together, we offer prayers of praise. When we spend time together, we offer prayers on behalf of each other. We pray for each other and the things that are going on in one another's lives. We pray for the lost. We pray for opportunities to teach them. We pray that their hearts will be open to receive the good news that is Jesus. We pray for spiritual strength, our own and of those around us. And as God's people, we pray for His guidance. For us to understand these compass points, these things that drive us. What we want is that He would help us to stay correctly oriented and keep us going in the right direction. In my mind, as I'm kind of putting all of this together, and the reason that I choose the words here for this point that I did about carried by prayer... In my mind, I don't know where I got this image necessarily, but I'm kind of picturing, you know, like laying out a tarp, big piece of fabric, canvas, whatever. And, and all these different things that we're talking about are being all about Christ. We put that there on the canvas. 
And devoted to evangelism, we put that there on the canvas. And caring about one another, we put that there on the canvas. And what prayer allows us to do is to grab all four corners of that canvas and lift it up and carry it with us. And to put the whole thing together, to wrap it all up and carry it together. And so if you want to carry the whole life of a church as it should be carried, you lay it on that, you lay it all out on the big canvas that is prayer. And so evangelism, as we do that together, is carried by our efforts to pray to God about that. Our, uh, our service, the opportunities that we're looking for to do good to one another and to the world, that's carried by our time spent praying about that. Our relationships with each other, that's carried by our time spent praying about that. Our faith in Christ, that's carried by the fact that we pray about that when we spend our time together. And some of the ones from last week as well, when we talk about our love for the Word and our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ and our obedience to His commands, all of that. Put that all in the big rucksack there, carry those four corners, hold it up with prayer. One of the most insightful books that I read this past year was called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. It's an attention-getting title, isn't it? <laughs> right? Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And what the writer did was survey a handful of churches that had dwindled down to nothing and had to close their doors. And what he was looking for is common denominators between all of those different groups that had shut their doors and they had stopped meeting in a certain place. And two of the ones that stuck out to me the most... Number one, he said those churches, the members had stopped serving the poor and teaching the lost. No surprise there. And number two, number two, the members had stopped praying together. It really is that important, brothers and sisters. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And yet, why do we find it so easy to drift out of a strong prayer habit that holds all of our congregational and individual life together? I don't know. I don't know why we find it so easy to drift out of that, but let's just make a determination that we won't let that happen here, in this place, with this group of people. Let's determine that we are going to spend time praying. When we're in each other's homes and when we're in Bible classes and when we're out to dinner, let's spend time praying. When you're at school, a couple of different people from church go to the same school and you're getting ready to take a test, spend time in the morning praying together before you take the test. If a couple of you guys work together, get together at lunch and pray. Let's determine to spend more of our assembly times in prayer, in diligent, honest prayer to God. Let's make sure, by the way, throw this one in here as well, that parents, we're teaching our kids about the value of prayer. And sometimes we may have to just force them to close their eyes and sit still, don't make any noise, okay? But eventually, what that leads to is a respectful behavior toward prayer that becomes a respectful attitude toward prayer. Okay? And so let's make sure that we're teaching that. Let's make sure that we pray specifically and faithfully for healing when our members are sick. And let's make sure to begin and end all of the important things that we do as a church family by seeking the face and the favor of God in prayer. One of my mentors really says that. He said almost word for word every time there's a big event that happens at that congregation. He says, we want to begin as we do everything in this congregation by seeking the face and favor of God in prayer. And I love that. It's a great way to be reminded of the power that it has. And if that sounds like a lot of time that we would spend praying, good. <laughs> okay, because Paul does tell us to pray without ceasing. 
is meant to be a continual thing. It's meant to be something that reminds us continually that we need a relationship with God and we need His blessings if we're going to truly be a church that pleases Him. And so those are my eight compass points for you. Those are the things that need to guide this congregation as we seek to be a church that pleases God. Those are the points toward which the Eastland Church of Christ must stay oriented. Because we believe that Jesus is at the center of everything, that He is what binds people together, and that only in Him can the church become all that God has designed her to be. Now, one of the keys to that, and one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, but one of the keys to all of that is that we continue to grow in all of those areas. And if you want to write just one more thing down in your notes there, it might be that. That God's church is never stagnant. We're never stagnant. If we truly believe that the church in the New Testament is the pattern for us to live by, then we can never allow ourselves to drift into a vision of the church that is done. Well, it's about as good as it's going to get. I guess that's all it takes. Never, ever, ever will that fit the New Testament pattern. And so like we have said before, God is never concerned with whether a church is big or small. He's never concerned with that. What He's concerned with is whether a church is growing. And we need to have the same vision. And so in this year, we want to pray that God continues to bless us with growth. And matter of fact, why don't we just pause for a moment and do that right now. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that in all that we do this year as a group of your people, that you will bless us with growth. We know that we may plant and we may water, but ultimately all growth comes from you. And so we pray for you to bless us with that. Help us to grow straight and steady along the path that you have laid out. Keep us oriented, Lord, toward your goals, toward these compass points that really ought to define us in everything we do. We pray, Lord, that you will bring us more people this year who are ready to put their faith in you and in your word. We pray that you will bring us more people who are diligent workers in your kingdom. We pray that you will bring us more people whom we can help by teaching them and by being servants to them. And we pray, Lord, that you will bring us all in all of this to greater maturity. If we have to struggle to make that happen, help us struggle well and support each other through it. And if we have to make sacrifices, help us to do so with glad hearts. And if we have to get out of our comfort zones for all of that to happen, Lord, please give us courage to do so with boldness. But ultimately, in all of it, what we pray for is your blessing and the growth that you will give. And so we pray that we will bring you glory in all that we do. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. We've been talking about the church and we've been talking about this church. And this morning I'm going to offer you an opportunity to become a member of both. If you want to talk to us about what it means to become a member of the church of Jesus Christ, then we would love to talk to you about that. If you want to talk to somebody about what it means to be a member of the Eastland Church of Christ, we'd love to talk to you about what that means as well. In either case... In either case, if we can help you in some way and you want to make that known publicly, would you come forward and talk to me or to one of the shepherds while we're standing and singing this song?